Today's episode is sponsored by Cedar Bay Planner Company, makers of the Quilters Planner and the Knitters Planner. At Cedar Bay, they believe it's important to make time to do the things you love. Let them help you with their collection of beautiful organizational tools. They make customizable, craft-focused yearly planners, undated project planners, accessories, and digital products, everything you need to manage your day-to-day life and crafting all in one place. Visit www.quiltersplanner.com and www.knittersplanner.com to see their full line of products and use the code CIA10 at checkout for 10% off your 2023 planner. Thank you so much, Cedar Bay Planner Company. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 226 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about card making with my guest, Simon Hurley. Simon started card making when he was 12 years old and loved that each card was a unique canvas to work on. After sharing his work on YouTube, he slowly grew a loyal community of crafters who watched his videos. And this led to him filming a card making class at scrapbook.com when he was 14 and several more thereafter. At age 16, Simon partnered with Ranger to launch a line of ink, stamps, and stencils that are perfect for card making. The product line has since grown, and Simon has become known for his versatile stamping foam and metallic lunar paste. Simon has continued making videos and growing his community on YouTube, and you can find many inspirational videos using his products there. Simon Hurley, welcome. Hey, Abby. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great talking to you. I've watched lots of your videos, many of them also on Instagram as well. Um, And so I'm really excited to learn more about you and about your creative business and your history. So I honestly think you might be one of the youngest guests I've had to date of over 200 episodes. So how old are you now? I get that a lot. Um, I am 20 now, so it's kind of crazy. It's It's been a while since I first started and I've been in this industry for a little while too. Yeah, you have absolutely. And where are you living? Um, I'm in Wisconsin. In so Wisconsin, all the seasons here. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Okay. Um, and so, um, when you were younger, before this whole sort of card making um, business began, so before the age for, of fourteen, were you um, creative right from the start, or were you interested in some other things um, in the beginning? I was super creative from the start. I mean, like when I was really little, I was put into different sports. So I would play different sports and I didn't really love them. Um, I never really connected with anything. So then I kind of started acting and I was in some school plays and things like that. So I was really interested in kind of that aspect of it. And um, then I, on the side, kind of was doing some art projects. So like I would make um, paper beads for my mom. I would make like crochet, little stuffed animals for myself. 
um, origami creations. And then I found inks and I was searching up like what to do with inked backgrounds and things like that. And that's where I found card making videos. And I really fell down the rabbit hole of like watching all of them and getting excited about it. And so I went out to the store, bought some supplies and like immediately started card making. And I didn't really know about like the whole community behind it until kind of joining the world online. And then you really learn that there's so many people who do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Playing sports and acting. I can see the acting piece of it coming into play now because you are on screen so much. And um, do you feel like there is kind of a thread of that interest still with you? Yeah, I think so. I think there was something about me that always wanted to do TV acting because I didn't like the idea of being on stage and not being able to retake it. Um, So I love YouTube because I kind of get to like make my own sort of little productions. And it's been super cool too, because I've been like really into the video side of it as well. So like, I've always been super interested in upgrading my cameras as we went along. And I started with like my little point and shoot camera we had at home. And so it's been cool to like have all aspects of it to be something that you're interested in. And that way, if like one thing gets a little bit boring one week, um, then, you know, I have another thing that I can really focus on with work. So it's always something new. Right. Like the creativity of video and video production um, is just as much of an interest really as some of the other aspects. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. And were, were your parents creative people? I mean, are they creative people themselves? What do they do for work? So I always get this question and um, we've kind of talked about it a little bit. And my mom used to buy us like different kits. She's a teacher. So she used to always come home and instead of like giving us a computer to go play on, um, would buy us kind of these crafting kits. And so I think some sort of interest started from that sort of creativity from a really young age. And I was always that kid who would like sit in class too and like follow the lines perfectly as other people were like scribbling on their coloring page. So it's for some reason, kind of that perfectionism like was kind of instilled from me at a young age. And I really just wanted everything to be perfect. And I loved having a project that had like a beautiful outcome to it. And so that was kind of it. But yeah, my mom was a teacher. So that's okay. where that creativity, I think, came from. Right, exactly. Did you take art classes in high school, like actual either in school or, you know, after school? Like, did you take art classes? Yeah, I took pretty much as many as I could. Um, I took lots of different drawing classes, painting. Um, We even had ceramics at our school, which was super fun to kind of learn and and be interested in that for a while. Um, So lots of different kind of art mediums. And then I didn't do AP art because I graduated a little bit early. So I I, I couldn't do that one, but I took as many as I could. I loved it. What, What allowed you to graduate early? Did you kind of accelerate things? I just had enough credits to graduate early and I knew that I wasn't going to go on to college and I knew that I was kind of going to turn this into a business. And so at the end of high school, I was getting super kind of busy and really overwhelmed with it. And so the school kind of allowed me to graduate early to just kind of pursue this and continue. Right. Because at that point, you had a lot of business stuff to tend to. Right. Yeah. I would leave school sometimes and go to different trade shows or different like meetings with people and um, would be like, we were allowed to use our phones during school. So I'd be like at the, at the times I could be like texting and, and uh, emailing my team because we would, you know, need to communicate kind of during the day and throughout so that I wasn't just communicating at night when they weren't working. And so it was helpful to kind of be able to 
the school was super supportive. So I really appreciate that kind of during the day and, and things like that. Right. And so you made the decision to not go to college, to just pursue this. And is that, that's what you're sticking with at the moment, at least. Yeah, at the moment. I mean, college is always there. So I thought that I would kind of pursue this as much as I could. I love this industry and um, supporting it. And they've really been an amazing community for me. Um, And so I don't know, I just didn't see myself really since a young age, I didn't see myself really ever going to college. And I would tell people that and they would be really surprised. Um, But just kind of, I always had a dream of just pursuing sort of something bigger by myself and, and continuing with that. So right now it's the right decision, but there's always college. Right, exactly. Okay, so um, you were talking about how you discovered inks, like alcohol inks, I'm assuming, um, and made all of these different sort of pieces. And then we're like, what do I do with all of them? And and that's how you found YouTube. I'm guessing, as a mom of kids who are not too much younger than you, that um, YouTube was already something you were, you know, familiar with and, and looking at. Um, so tell us a little bit about like your interactions with YouTube up until that point when you kind of discovered that crafting was on YouTube as well. Totally. Yeah. So I actually found most of my crafting on YouTube. So before that I was found the origami on YouTube. And so like I would find things in real life and then I would find them on YouTube as well and see all of these amazing tutorials and learn so much from it. Um, But I was kind of of the era of kids where like YouTube was a very new thing at the time. Like there was a a core group of, of YouTubers and they would post videos, but there wasn't like the YouTube that it is today. And so I was super inspired by those kind of creators that were kind of the OG creators. Um, And it was, it was super fun to kind of see them grow and then see the platform grow. And then when I found card making, I was kind of intrigued and wanted to start posting videos there as well. Cause I was really super inspired by what I had seen when I was young as well. Um, And so I kind of just started from that. I wasn't allowed to show my face at the beginning. So there was really bad videos with my hands, but um, I kind of grew from there and was able to to grow the videos. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of young guys your age at that time, I feel like were using YouTube to stream things like, you know, playing video games um, versus making cards. Mm -hmm. So were you at all into games or no? I was. I used to play um, Minecraft all the time. Like we would play nonstop. Um, I was big into Pokemon as well. So when I would crochet stuffed animals, I would usually make different Pokemon. So I was into some of these games, but sometimes when I would play these games, I like liked the end result of like whatever you created, but it was online. And so I wasn't like fully, I feel like I just wasted my time. And so while I loved the creativity of some of them, it just didn't, it didn't feel like a good use of time. Um, so that's kind of why I didn't really pursue those too much longer. Right. Okay. And so how did you discover, cause it sounds like pretty quickly after sort of you fell in love with the inks, um, you discovered that there was like an industry behind crafting. Cause for me, I know like I was a consumer of crafting supplies and a maker for a very long time before I really realized, oh, wait a minute, like this is a business with trade shows and contracts and books and all the sort of back end piece, if you know what I'm saying, that makes the whole engine run. And I just, for some reason, didn't really think about that, I guess. And so I'm assuming as a 14 year old, maybe you didn't either. So how did you sort of understand, okay, wait, I could contact this company or something like that, you know? 
Totally. Yeah. I actually had no idea about the industry. I, my goal was like set on when I turned 16, I'm going to be working at a craft store. Um, cause I want okay. to go out. And so that was my goal. We far exceeded that, but, um, I, I didn't really know about the industry whatsoever. And so when I started posting, I just started on Instagram, actually just sharing pictures. Okay. And so I kind of learned from there and kind of found other people. So like Jennifer McGuire and all those different creators I started following. And so when I would post, this amazing community would support the different things that I was posting and stuff like that. And so that's where I kind of found this community and lots of different companies from these people. And at that time, the companies in the card making industry weren't as saturated either. There weren't as many. So um, there was a select few and they kind of had, and there was some that was starting just when I started crafting too. So I've kind of grown with a lot of the companies as well, which has been fun. Um, but my dad actually is kind of business savvy. And so he was like, you know, I didn't have a ton of money at the time to spend on this. So he was like, reach out to these companies and you can create videos, you know, and promote their products. And so kind of in return, in exchange for that, that's kind of what I would do. There was a lot of no's. And I encourage people that whenever you're starting your own business, like you have to be really accepting of taking a no and just taking your strides and moving on to the next thing. And um, because somebody's going to take a risk on you and say yes, and it might take 20 no's, it might take 30. Um, and I think I was kind of um, like warmed up to the idea of that too, after like auditioning for so many plays and stuff like that, because I was told no consistently. And it's like, you just have to move on and keep going and you're going to find the right thing soon. Right. So your dad was like, okay, you know how to make these videos and maybe some of these companies need videos and don't necessarily have the know-how or the time or the resources. And so how did he come to that conclusion? In other words, you said he's kind of business savvy. Was there something that he kind of knew about a perspective that he had where he was able to, to look at you and figure out like, hey, this is a way for you to continue with this hobby you're so passionate about without having to break the bank? Yeah, I'm not sure. It was a smart idea. And I think at that point, I think some creators were probably doing that. So maybe he saw that, but I know also he's kind of into product marketing and things like that. And so with that in mind, I think he was like, you know, Simon, you don't understand like how valuable these videos are to these companies. And so, um, you know, for me to then just kind of be able to get some of the stuff for free. And it was always stuff that I loved too. I want to make that clear. I never used a product just because it was sent to me. And like further into my career, a lot was getting sent to me. And so it was like, I had to really pick and choose because I wanted my audience to always trust me. And so I was only showing the things that I absolutely loved. Right. And that's, that's really good advice. And so do you remember like the first package that arrived, like the first, yes, I guess that actually happened and like what that was like when, you know, you actually got product and got some sort of trust, I guess, from one of the the companies in this field. Totally. Yeah. It was a company called Newton's Nook. Um, They're really awesome. They've got a lot of great kind of cartoon stamps and I love them. And um, they are actually in Wisconsin as well, I believe if they're still here. But um, so they were super kind at the beginning and kind of really supported me. And so I was on their design team and design teams are pretty normal now. And I would create kind of videos for them and blog posts, kind of sharing some of their new products, which was a lot of fun. And it's kind of cool when you're on a design team, you're of course committing to creating videos for the company. And so you would get product monthly and you would really have no clue what it was going to be. And so it was kind of a cool creative way to grow as well, because 
you know, something might not be your style exactly, but it's still a cool stamp and kind of figuring out ways to use things that you might not have thought of to use at the beginning is kind of cool. Right. And design themes are really something that, I mean, it's not like other uh, craft niches don't have teams of different sorts. Like often they're called like ambassadors or that sort of thing in sewing at least. Um, but design teams like that term and that concept seem like they're very sort of native to scrapbooking, mixed media, um, paper crafting, card making, that kind of niche. So for people who maybe aren't coming from that area, can you just describe like, what is a design team? What is the commitment like? How do you apply for one? And what do you need to show just in case folks are like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to, to do that. Totally. Yeah. And I can give you both perspectives as a company owner and as someone who is designed for a design team too. Um, So a design team is kind of this team of designers that a company will sort of hire. And usually it's giving free product. Sometimes it's payment as well. Um, But usually they send out that free product to the designers and their team of designers will kind of make videos or blog posts or just card making projects to share with that company and share on social media to kind of get their release out there. So it's almost like, you know, lots of different companies in the world, like makeup companies or um, sports products, you know, they'll send out their products just to kind of get their product known and out into the marketplace a little bit right when it's released. Um, So that's really helpful for marketing for these small companies. And so to kind of apply or be on a design team, um, you kind of have to be using that company's products a lot. And especially like something that I look for is if people tag me on social media and they've been using my products. So if they tag me and I see lots of, you know, products that they've been using of my stuff and, and some beautiful projects, like that's a great sign. If, if you're tagging me in something that's not quite mine, it might not be a good fit for me, but then tag that sort of company. And um, it's kind of a good indication to that company that you love their stuff and you'd be great to work on their team. And sometimes they have design team calls as well, where you can kind of apply and, and submit that in there. Right. And these are not paid positions, but they're almost like co-marketing opportunities where maybe the company, you know, like Ranger, for example, I'm sure I haven't checked recently, but has, you know, many hundreds of thousands or whatever of Instagram followers, let's say. And uh, and maybe, you know, you as a designer have 2000 or something. So if you do get on a design team just with a company that's large like that, um, you know, and you're making a project and then, then maybe they're resharing it and tagging you that sort of the goal there being that both both of you benefit in somewhat different ways from this sort of mutual. And, and it goes, you know, gives you some street cred as well. Like you were on the design team from that brand that folks have heard of. Totally. Yeah. I think that that's a really cool way to think about it. I think that's, um, you know, you're really both kind of helping each other grow along the journey there. And there's a lot of companies that have helped me grow. Like I had mentioned, scrapbook.com was amazing to me. They kind of brought me out to film some classes and that was a ton of work, but it really paid off with, you know, our relationship. I love scrapbook.com. They've been so supportive of, of the product line as well. And um, just kind of, yeah, growing and learning with all these different companies is really important. And like you yeah. said, not most of these positions aren't paid, but I always looked at it as like, if I'm using something that I love that I would have bought anyways, it's a good way for me not to lose money each video because, you know, you don't want to go into debt making videos, but then also um, with affiliate links and things like that, that can be a great way if you're starting a business to kind of grow. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Lorinda Davis at Cedar Bay Planner Company. 
Hi, my name is Lorinda Davis. I'm from Cedar Bay Planner Company. So we uh, we make both the Quilters Planner and the Knitters Planner. They're a daily planner for both quilters and knitters to um, help them make some time to do all the things that they love. Right. So what are some of the special features that are specifically for somebody who's crafty? Of course. Yeah, we have weekly tips. So every week, um, if you have the Quilters Planner, you're going to be getting tips for quilters, um, by quilters, by quilt designers. Uh, Another feature that we have is a resource section. So in each of our books, there's a resource section for um, that particular craft that you can flip back to and and use as a reference. Uh, It's a really nice uh, thing for our customers to be able to just have that on hand. Another feature that we have that, of course, the customers love is our pattern section, where we have uh, patterns from designers in each industry. And that's, that's just also really fun for them to have in the book. Yeah. And um, the books are beautifully produced and fun to use in addition to being really useful. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. We really do believe that beautiful products are more fun to use. And so we try to make them as beautiful as possible. So where can people go to get more information and to get one? They can go um, for the quilters. They can go to www.quiltersplanner.com or for the Knitters Planner, www.knittersplanner.com. I know you have a discount code to offer our listeners. I do. Uh, If they use the code CIA10 at their checkout, they'll get 10% off their 2023 planner. This is a great time to buy a planner for 2023. So get out there and use it. Thank you so much, Lorinda. And now back to my conversation with Simon. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about these videos because I know growing a YouTube channel, it's it's a long haul. You know, you're in that for the long haul to grow, to really grow a YouTube channel. And I have it down here somewhere, how many um, YouTube subscribers you have right now, but it's something like 83,000, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's somewhere in that um, in that area. And so um, you said in the beginning, you couldn't show your face. You were obviously a minor and, and your parents were looking out for you wisely um, and, and, and all of that. And then, you know, maybe the lighting wasn't so great. You had a, a very, um, you know, low end camera at that time. So talk a little bit about what you've learned about YouTube over the years and, and the platforms changed as well. Totally. The platform has changed a lot and it's become a lot different. I mean, I I would be lying if I said it wasn't harder to make a video in today's day and age than it was back then. Back then it wasn't as saturated. There wasn't as many things going on. So it was easier to stand out. But one thing I always kind of tell people is you want to start like doing something that you haven't seen before, especially in your industry. You can even take an idea from a different industry that you see other people doing and bring it back to yours. Um, it really brought a lot of creativity in my videos and it really excited me. So when I was first starting out, like the first couple of years, I had maybe a thousand subscribers. It was a super slow growth. And I was just making the normal card making tutorial, the same thing that everybody else was doing. And after a while, I kind of got bored of it. I was like, you know, I want to change things up a little bit and incorporate some videos that I would sort of watch as well. And so um, I started doing card making life hacks, which was kind of the series that I threw into the card making industry and hope that it stuck. And I was very nervous posting the first video. It didn't do great, but I did like two more. And after that, it was kind of explosive growth from there, from those sort of videos. And for me, it was like, I wanted to fit in a bunch of tips 
into like a 10 minute video for people. And I wanted them to be super fast paced and that you're just learning the techniques and all these different tips. And I'm not so much making a finished card every time, because I think having techniques is super important for people because then they can take that and create whatever cards they want with it. So that's sort of a series kind of, I attribute to lots of my success. It kind of helped me grow at least get on the map. And then I kind of grew more from there, just from normal videos as well. Um, And then showing my face too. It wasn't something that a lot of people were doing at the beginning of the time when I was doing it. And so sort of around that card making life hacks time, I would introduce the video with my face on camera and not everyone was doing that. Usually it was just everyone's hands. And so I think putting a face to that was kind of helpful for people. And also I think it built more of a community. Like I love kind of talking to people, even like we're doing now. And, and, um, instead of just kind of sitting there with my hands and a voiceover and not really connecting in that way. Yeah, absolutely. We all connect to faces so much. Um, And so had you seen like a life hacks video and a different, you were talking about bringing in ideas from other niches, other industries, other areas, and sort of thinking about how could I apply this to crafting? And so had you seen some life hack videos in some other area? Yeah, life hacks were huge at the time. They were all over the internet. And I guess they still are, but like this was the the time of like DIY and life hacks. It was those several years. And so for me, it was a matter of like, oh, hey, I sort of liked watching these life hacks videos in this niche. Let me pull it over and bring card making and life hacks together and just see what happens. And I didn't know how people were going to react because it was something very different at the time, but it was well received. And then lots of other people started making card making life hacks videos too. And so it kind of grew into this little niche of our industry too, where it's like this sort of series that was on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, I get the appeal, right? Like some of, if you take an in-person class, let's say with an expert, a well-known designer or something like that, a lot of times it's not necessarily the project that you make that you come away with. Obviously you have that project, but it's all those little tips where you're working on something and they come over and they're like, okay, wait, do it this way. And then, or they show you a notion or a specific tool or something like that and how to use it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, that makes it so much easier, more accurate, you know, more fun, quicker, whatever it is. Um, And so putting together, I mean, I've watched these, for example, with, um, with like an iPhone, right? Like here are like 10 things about your iPhone you didn't know, you know, and they show you these things that you can change in settings or whatever and turn on captions or what, all these different things that you probably are buried there, but you just didn't see. But somebody who spends all their time focused on this can easily show you and then you can have a better experience. Right, right. You walk away from a short video and you feel like you've learned a lot. And that was kind of my goal with these sort of videos. And for me, I always say this too, which I think is hilarious. I'm super a lazy crafter. And so with me, it helps that in product development. And it also helps in making videos because if I can figure out a way to do something a little bit quicker or kind of a a sort of hack to get around kind of an extensive project and make it super easy, I think that's super helpful. And so while it's like something that's not great, that I'm super lazy and don't always want to do a full project, um, it also kind of helps in that way because I think there's a lot of people out there who don't want to spend, you know, two hours making one card. And so it, it makes things easier as well. So that you can really focus on the part of the card that you love doing. And for me, it's okay. like inks and techniques. That's what I love. 
Right. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about your video setup now, right? You've probably come a long way. You've made money. You've been able to reinvest. Um, We're talking, I think we have exactly the same microphone. I can see your microphone. My microphone looks just like your microphone and I'm a podcaster. So I'm imagining you have, you know, a set um, and and what the set looks like and how you created that. And then a little bit about the video equipment, because people are always so curious about like lighting, microphone, camera, and anything else that you end up, you know, incorporating. Yeah, totally. So ever since I first started, it's always been like, if I got a certain amount of money, I would really reinvest back into cameras and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I got my first thousand dollars, like a long time ago at the beginning. And so that was like, all right, time to buy a new camera. And so I wasn't using this money for really anything else. And so I was always enthralled with just making sure that everything was upgraded. So the videos looked better and better as I went. And so um, for me, I bought... Well, now I have a Sony camera in front of me. Um, so I'm on my MacBook right now, but the Sony camera is really high quality. And so I really wanted that to kind of be my focus. And then also it's really good at taking photos. So I use that for different card photos and things like that. So that's really helpful. Um, and then for my top camera, I just have a camcorder. Um, and then uh, the front one, I just have a nice ring light in front of me and then two lights on either side that sort of fill out the background. And then I've kind of upgraded microphones and things like that. I use this microphone for like different voiceovers. And then I have kind of a shotgun boom mic uh, above me that kind of captures any sound from my camera. And so it's been, it's been a journey upgrading all of the different equipment. And I've sort of went through different iterations. These cameras are super expensive. So like at the beginning, I started out with a a Canon camera and I've upgraded from that since then. So like, I always encourage people really that you don't need anything. Like you really, especially nowadays, I I just got a new phone as well. And um, the iPhone is just so powerful. Like their camera is absolutely amazing. I'm literally thinking about switching out my tap camera for an iPhone because the upgrades they're making in their cameras are leaps and strides ahead of lots of the different camera companies. And so film on your iPhone, turn it on do not disturb and, you know, make videos on there because it really creates some amazing quality content with lots of like interest and lots of detail in their cameras now, which I think is amazing. So I encourage you guys, if you're starting now, because when I started, there wasn't, you know, these amazing iPhones. If you're starting now, start with an iPhone because it's really going to to be easy. And that way you're not investing in something that you might not like. Right. And I'm assuming these first few videos are probably shot in your bedroom, your childhood bedroom or somewhere else in your, in your family's home. Um, and, and where, like, what is, what is in the background now? Because when I see people who really make a lot of video, a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of videos for other platforms, um, they spend time working on what's behind them so that it looks inspiring. You said you wanted to work as a child in a craft store. It looks like a place where you would have lots of supplies, you know, bountiful supplies and a lot of color and just really be a place that looks like an artist studio. Totally. Yeah. So when I first started, I was really little and I was working in my basement because we didn't want to get the carpet messy. And so we moved into a new house recently. And so this is kind of my new little craft space in here. We built a little extra room in the in the storage area of our basement. And so um, this is the craft studio. Yeah. So I have some some um, 
drawer units behind me and kind of a countertop and then some decorations and then also some of my products displayed back there as well so it's kind of yeah like you said nice and colorful i really like kind of working in here um and i've kind of been in, into interior design and that sort of uh, decorating as well and so that's been kind of fun to to work behind there and switch out the different props whether it's fall or christmas or whatever season it is it's fun to sort of decorate that little little island space back there yeah absolutely so when you went out to arizona right to go to scrapbook.com to film these classes um i'm assuming that was eye opening because i filmed a few online classes too and you know you get there not knowing necessarily what to expect, but there's this whole crew with mics and they, you know, mic you and um, multiple cameras in different angles and things like that. And I mean, now you've got a lot of that same equipment probably, but if you can talk a little bit about sort of what you learn from those, um, that class, you know, shooting an online class, I feel like that's a kind of collaboration really in a way, right? You're the talent and they're the ones who are producing it. Um, and, but it's it's a, such a huge learning experience as well. Totally. Yeah, it was eye-opening in all aspects. We honestly thought when we got the email that it was kind of a scam, like we didn't know. <laughs> we had no clue. And Scapa.com wasn't what it was now at the time. And so I kind of grew up with them as well. And so um they flew me out and we were, yeah, we were super surprised that we were even out there. And then we get into their studio and, and it wasn't the studio they've upgraded since then. And they have a, a massive studio now, which is amazing, but it was kind of this little room and they had, you know, some really great lighting equipment. They have an amazing videographer there and he's just been amazing over the years to kind of work with and, and talk about lighting and stuff like that. And so at the beginning it was, yeah, it was eye opening because I talked really fast too. And so I attribute a lot of the success I've had to them as well, because it was like I was sitting in this room filming 10 videos and I always was so used to filming by myself. So nobody could stop me and be like, Simon, that sentence did not make sense like that. You talked way too fast. And so that was kind of a day of really learning of like, all right, that sentence was too fast. Let's retry it. That was a little bit too fast. Let's try again you know, like talk a little bit slower, you know, make sure that you're enunciating all of your words. And so that was super helpful to me. And I walked away from those two days really like feeling like I could uh, give a lesson a lot better because I never taught in person. And so once you get that live in-person feedback, that's just always super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of carries you forward. And maybe also once the classes came out, gives you this confidence, like, yes, I am a person in this industry, somebody has made a bet on me. And um, I don't know if you got that feeling. I feel like when I published a book, right, I came away from that unexpectedly feeling so much more confident that I had this book out, you know? Totally. Yeah. I remember when the first announcement kind of came out, I was super excited about the class. Um, it was just, it was amazing to have kind of a class on a different website. Someone else believed in you, like you said, which is amazing. And then, yeah. um, yeah, shortly to follow, I think it was like a year after I flew back out and filmed another one. And then that same year I filmed another one. It was just kind of crazy, like back to back. And then after that, I started filming with my own product line, which is has been amazing too. So they've invited me out, I think twice now to film using my own products, which is just such an amazing little full circle kind of moment there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wondered whether going to trade shows, I don't know if you went to um, Creativation or, um, you know, AFCI when it was CHA, whatever, you know, that one of their shows or not, but did, did going to a trade show 
come before getting your own product line and help you or, or did that play a role at all? Yeah, I went to my first trade show when I was 15 and I went okay. to Product Studios. So um, they kind of are a manufacturer of lots of different craft supplies. They make a lot of paper crafting supplies. So um, they kind of specialize in tools and scissors and things like that. Um, and so they invited me to go out and uh, go to Creativation with them and demo at their booth. And so that was kind of my first year of learning all about sales and the sales side of it, because I was never in this industry for money. And even when I had my own product line, I was like, I don't even want to make money, which is probably not something you should say, but like, I just didn't care um, until it became my actual job. And so when I was there, it was really a learning curve of like, all right, you got to pick up these products and you've got to learn all about them in a short amount of time. And then you've got to sell them to people. And so I remember that was kind of an eye-opening experience to me. And I think they were really like shocked. Honestly, I kind of shocked myself because they would just like pull out a camera and they'd be like, all right, we're going to do a live stream on this product. And I was like, I don't really know exactly what this does, but we're going to work with it. And so, um, you know, it was kind of a learning curve in that aspect. And then I went home from that year and, you know, kind of continued filming videos and things like that. But I wanted to create a line of my own so that, you know, things weren't just thrown at me. That way I knew exactly what every product did. And that way I knew that I could recommend a product because I knew it was good because I was in those meetings making that product. And so that was really big to me. It was like, I wanted to make sure that I was recommending the best products to my audience. And so it came full circle because I loved Rangers inks when I first started, I loved them. Um, and so kind of then working with Ranger, I reached out to them and I was like, I have this product idea. And um, then they offered me the position of being a signature designer. And so that's kind of how it all came about. It was a really quick process. And then we got right into making the whole product line. And so we started out with a line of stamps that kind of filled in a more masculine area of the industry that was kind of missing. We've, we've strayed a little bit away from that. Now we create kind of all different types of stamps, but that's where we started. And then we did inks and cardstock the first year as well. And was that, um, was that more masculine line that you started out with? Was that the idea that you called them or emailed them initially to say, I have an idea for a product that maybe is not something you're already doing. The idea actually hasn't come out on the market yet because ah. it was it was a little bit difficult to create. And so we've been working on it, but it's kind of a product that would be, uh, you know, didn't pass our sort of quality guidelines that we needed to meet. And I love that about Ranger because they like, they won't release anything unless it's perfect, right? Some companies will throw things on the market and hope that it sticks. It's like, we just will not put that on the shelves. And so I really respect that with them. And it's been amazing working with them to make sure that the quality of everything is amazing. So we'll see if that sort of product ever comes out on the market, but we're doing something similar, hopefully next year. Um, not exactly the same, but uh, similar to what I wanted from the start. So your initial communication with this idea that wasn't necessarily immediately viable, um, didn't, you know, they got that and they were kind of like, mm, I'm not sure, but then they still wanted to talk to you. In other words, they probably emailed back or scheduled a phone call or something, uh, even though, you know, the the pitch that you, you came to them with wasn't, um, you know, immediately something that they could create. Right. Yeah. I think they, they've told me they were kind of intrigued by my ability to tell a product idea or a story through a video. I actually came to them with a video that I had okay. made, yeah. and I was like, yeah, I want this sort of product and I want it to be exactly like this. And so they were like, you know, we like that you, number one, you know what you want. And we like that you can kind of tell that story through a video. 
And so that was kind of the two things I think that really sold them. And then, um, yeah, they were excited to kind of, I never expected that. I thought they were just going to make inks with me and I was going to sell them or, or something like that. And so them to offer me that position was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting to hear that you came to them with a video. And what about like the, I mean, you're a guy, you were at that time really young, um, but very polished and clearly interested in something that not that many guys of that of your age, frankly, care at all about. Um, this is an industry mostly of, you know, women uh, and certainly older than 14 for the most part. So um, was there or have you found that there's kind of like a novelty? I mean, now you're 20, you're an adult. It's a little bit different. But was there like a like a novelty interest in you because you're this sort of scrapbook prodigy or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, I would say there was. I would say that was kind of one of the things that helped me stand out is that it was kind of a novel thing that like this little kid was uh, making cards. I think it both helped me and hurt me a little bit because people would be like, well, what am I going to learn from this little kid? Right. So that was one side of it. But then also some people were really impressed that a little kid was doing this. And so it, there was it was a double edged sword. But I I really loved being in the industry. And, you know, I um as I've grown, I think people have stopped really focusing on the age and it's just like, you know, this kid is really good at what he does. And so, you know, we're not going to just focus on his age and things like that. Right. Like, and you, you kind of join the ranks of like Tim Holtz or whatever other kind of, you know, designers who are just designers and not little kid prodigy designers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think there was yeah. nothing that like looped me in then as, as something that was, you know, either a good thing or a bad thing with the age. I think it just kind of, after a while, people kind of forgot about it as I grew up. Yeah. And then as far as being an artist is concerned, um, I think there can be a lot of feelings of being, you know, a fraud or being fear of being discovered or something like that. If you're not an artist who can render really well, like who can literally just draw, you know, what's in front of them and the drawing is great or, paint real hyper-realistically or something like that. And obviously not all artists are this way, but I still think if you're making a living in the art world um, and, and you can't do those things, but you have a great sense of design, a great sense of color, all these other um, skills, sometimes you can kind of sort of underneath it all feel like, oh gosh, like, am I really an artist? You know? So I know you took art classes and I don't know whether you are, su are super skilled at drawing or not, but I don't know if you have thoughts to share on that field. Feeling. Yeah, I I drew most of my product line up until I think this next release is going to have some um, from other artists as well. But I started drawing most of my product line and I wasn't great at the beginning. And I think there's been so much improvement throughout the different years with the different products. Um, but at the time, I thought it was great. I thought that the drawings I was doing were amazing. And so it kind of is good to, I think, when you're growing, look back on what you've done and kind of cringe a little bit. And that's how you know you're kind of growing, you know. Um, I think in, in the aspect of, you know, not being an artist because you can't draw, I think there's so many different aspects of, you know, art and things like that. And so I think, you know, there's amazing, successful people who have, you know, done their whole career and not drawn any bit and have licensed from artists and they're kind of the creative mind behind it. And so I think there's a lot of different ways in this business to kind of do it, whether you specialize in, in creating the videos or you specialize in making the products. And then there's a designer behind the videos, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think 
you know, if you have a little bit of creativity, you're still kind of an artist in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about Instagram, because like I said, I first found you just looking at your videos on Instagram. Somehow they were served to me. I don't know if they were on the For You page or whatever. Um, and that's how I kind of discovered you first. So um, and Instagram and YouTube are not the same. They they really are different. We're looking at really short form video um, in reels or in stories. So um, but you're very successful there as well. And, and so are you creating different content for YouTube? Are you parsing the YouTube content into smaller pieces? Um, are, you know, what are you doing on Instagram that's working? Well, thank you so much. That's, it's cool to know that you found me from Instagram because most people say YouTube. Um, I forever for, I think six years was just a big user of YouTube and I would use like Instagram and Pinterest. I would just like post, Hey, I, I uploaded a new video, you know, things like that. And so with this new kind of TikTok, uh, Instagram reels era, I really loved it. I, we kind of grew up in an age, like when I was in eighth grade, we had uh, Musical.ly, which was an app that is TikTok now, they've changed it, but it was the same sort of concept and it was a lot smaller of an idea. I think the pandemic really brought that out as well. And so I was already used to doing these. It was so funny, like we would do them with our class. And and, uh, so I kind of grew up in this sort of age where like I knew how to do these weird transitions and how to make a really quick video and how to edit it down. And so um, I loved it. And so when I, uh, last year, I started creating some Instagram reels after I did like releases and things like that. And I would just share projects and I would do it every once in a blue moon. Like it wasn't anything huge for me. And then recently, like a couple months ago, I was like, I'm going to make Instagram reels. Like, I'm just going to try it out. I want to make fast paced videos because that's what I love to watch. Like I'll catch myself sitting through Instagram and scrolling for hours and TikTok too. And I'm like, if that's what I love watching, there's got to be some other people in crafting who want to watch that too. And at the time, not, not a ton of people were doing it. And so I was like, this is the time to start making these videos. And at the same time, I was kind of uninspired with YouTube. Um, and so, like I said, it's kind of cool with this job that you get to kind of switch off to different platforms if you want to. And so I started filming on my phone. Like I said, the phone quality is amazing. It actually beats my camera with how fast it can focus. Um, and so I wanted to edit down these videos to make them 10 to 15 seconds, like super quick. You're getting each step in like one second time. And if you want to, you can go to YouTube and you can find a full tutorial. But if you just have time to see these little ideas and they're going to spark some inspiration, I wanted that for people too. And so these videos are all native to the Instagram platform. I don't upload or I didn't take them from a YouTube video. And so I'll feature different techniques, whether I show that technique on YouTube and I'll bring it into a fast paced video, or like a lot of people have been loving the videos I've been creating with my lunar paste, where you kind of spread it onto an embossing folder and you get this beautiful shine. And so for me, it was just a new form of media that was super inspiring. And I loved creating with different audios and and trying new things. It was kind of an experimental thing. And then it started growing, like it had explosive growth like a month ago. So that's probably when you found me too. It was like, I grew 20,000 followers in like a couple of weeks. And I was like, what the heck? This has never happened before. Yeah. And uh, what about TikTok? I love TikTok as a consumer of video. (laughs) Um, I will confess that I'm probably on there every day. But um, so are you taking these short form videos and putting them there? I didn't actually look to see if you are on TikTok. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. I don't post there as much as Instagram. I sort of like the Instagram platform better as a creator, but as a consumer, I like TikTok better. 
So it's, it's two-sided, but um, yeah, for TikTok, it's just, it's like so hit or miss if a video does well. And so like, I guess I, I kind of repost my content over there when I remember to, but I just like Instagram better as a platform. And what about as far as monetization is concerned? Because what I'm hearing is that YouTube still is the best place if you want to monetize videos. Yeah, YouTube is kind of the king of monetization. I think they, they've they done it for so long. that They've really learned how to do it super well. I think these um, platforms like Instagram and TikTok, they want to reward you. So they've kind of started catching up to some monetization, but it's not like what it is on YouTube. It's sort of like a creator fund where they just kind of toss a little bit of money at you. But with YouTube, it's like per ad and like they've really got a system down, which I really like. Um, so yeah, I would recommend either one for a video creator. If you want to do YouTube, like the money that is from monetization, it, it's not a lot though. I do have to say that. So like, I don't know, don't expect to create these videos and be massively successful off of your YouTube, um, you know, uh, ad money. It's, it's not too much. Right. In order to really do this, and it sounds like this is now your job, um, it, you really need, in my experience, diversify your income stream so that you have money coming in in different amounts, from different sources, from different things that you pursued. So um, can you identify, obviously YouTube is one of them, but a few of your other um, income sources that are kind of all different you know, ones coming in at the same time? Yeah, totally. These are all things that creators kind of should look at. Because like you said, anything can be gone at any moment. And so if you take away one of your revenue streams, you still kind of have to be fine on, on whatever other ones you have. Um, so YouTube is one for me. And then the product line, um, royalties from the product line, and then sort of affiliate income. And so the affiliate income is like my audience supporting me. And so whenever an audience member clicks a link and they shop through that, it really helps. It is a small amount of money. And like I said, most of these are small amounts of money, but when they add up, it really helps out. And so when you've got a community of people who are inspired in their shopping products, that really helps. And so I encourage you guys, if you're like watching a video and you're inspired by a creator, it's like click their links below because that really, really helps them a lot. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and sometimes depending on, on what platform you're shopping on, that cookie is good for anything that you buy. So it may be that you came in through a $4 pen, like, you know, a link for a $4 pen or something like that. But while you're in there, now you're buying, you know, $200 worth of groceries and, and that actually that cookie still counts for that. So your creator is also getting a percentage of those at no extra cost to you. Totally. Yeah. It's almost, it's no extra cost to you. And it's like the company is kind of, you know, thanking the creator for bringing that person to their website to shop. And so um, it's kind of, it's a, it's a cool thing. And I love that kind of, I'm in the age of the internet where there's all these weird different um, kind of ways to make money and be able to be successful without having to do everything super traditionally. Right. Absolutely. So you have a new collaboration. We've talked about a few of your collaborations over the years. I'm sure there's been others, but you have a new kind of exciting one coming up with Spellbender. So talk to us a little bit about what that's going to entail. Yeah. So I've had my Ranger product line. I think this is the fourth year we're in it. And um, we've done inks, stamps, uh, lunar paste, all different types of mediums and design products for card making. And over the course of those four years, everybody has been asking for coordinating dies to cut out the stamps, which you run through a machine and they cut out your image like perfectly. Mm. And they've also been asking for just normal dies. So like dies that will cut out shapes that you can put on your card without doing any stamping. And so working with Spellbinders has been really awesome. They're a great die manufacturer. 
And they have worked with me to create a line of dyes. They're coming out this October. So I believe when this podcast is out, they should be out already. And they're going to coordinate with my Ranger stamps to cut them out perfectly. The new release, at least. We're not creating any for the older releases, but just starting from now on. And then we're going to have a line of dyes with just Spellbinders that kind of stands alone by itself as well. So it'll be a Christmas release, which is super exciting. Lots of Christmas crafting is tons of fun. And it's been a blast working with Spellbinders to kind of work with their team of designers and create these amazing dies that cut out, you know, intricate projects. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you've learned a little bit through these different collaborations about the what it takes to manufacture some of these different products, because manufacturing a die is not the same thing as manufacturing ink. You know, there's a lot of restraints and um, specifications that you need to understand in order to, and and obviously the company is going to take care of some of that, but you as a designer need to understand them as well. Right. Yeah. I have um, been in lots of meetings and I like to just like make sure that I'm not just putting my name on a product, right? Like I want to be there for the whole development of it. I want to be there for when something goes wrong and we can figure the problem out together rather than things being done. And I just get sent a product at the end. I'm I'm not into that. So um, with my partners, it's been amazing that they've kind of allowed that and allowed lots of creative freedom and um, problem solving with me. And so, yeah, it's been cool. I always say like, I've learned so much more than I think I even would have in school, like yeah. throwing me into that mess and <laughs> just kind of coming out and, and being able to figure it out. And yeah, like you said, I've learned a lot about manufacturing different products and um, in all categories and sort of what to do if something goes wrong, what to do in different aspects, because there's lots of moving parts in all these businesses. Yeah. And if you're curious... And if you're not afraid to ask the dumb question <laughs> that maybe somebody else is also wondering about, but never wanted to, to look stupid and ask, um, you can really learn and get, as you said, really an education that would be parallel to something you would get in like a formal institution. So totally. Yeah. yeah. And I encourage you got to ask the dumb questions. You got to yes. be in that meeting and be like, I have no idea what that acronym you I just said. I don't know is. what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're like, say it in the dumbest way possible. So right. I understand. But in all honesty, someone else there is like, oh, I actually didn't think to ask that either. Right. <laughs> so, there's, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of industry terms that, that you need to kind of know. And I didn't know at the beginning. And so, yeah, it's like, say that one more time, but say it in, in the worst way possible so I can get it. And then I can join in on your, uh, Right, right, exactly. And and don't be afraid to, to, you know, what are they going to think of me if I didn't know? It's it's better to just explain I don't know and I want to know. And I think that that's perfectly fine. So um, so now when you're looking toward your future, do you have some long term goals or dreams, wishes for, you know, Simon Hurley Enterprises as you go forward? Um, What would you like? you know, to, to have happen with this as you, um, progress. Yeah. I think for me, it's just been like growing and expanding, but doing it meticulously and making sure that we choose the right partners to do so. And that we really focus on the quality of the product. Like I don't want to grow too big that the product quality gets lost. And so for me, it's like just making sure that these teams are set and on their way to go And, you know, I'm still working with them daily and making sure that everything is going perfectly, but that we've got everything down before we start something new. And so um, I think in the next couple of years, yeah, just look for um, uh, continuous 
products in both of these new product lines, and then also maybe growth in some other areas. I'm not exactly sure where exactly that might be yet, but there's always fun new things happening in the industry. And so that always excites me. Yeah. So it'll stay in the crafts industry, it sounds like, but you're open to new opportunities and ideas. Yeah, I think I'm open to to even going outside of the industry, but okay. I think I've always wanted to kind of keep my roots here. I never want to just leave and kind of forget that everything happened. Um, I kind of, if I'm growing outside of the industry, it'll probably be uh, on top of whatever I'm doing right now. Right. Okay. Got it. So I want to make sure we get to your recommendations because you've got some really good ones. So you had mentioned this earlier, but um, you have this product, it's called Lunar Paste. So what is this and how do you use it? Yeah, I sound like one of the Kardashians mentioning my own products, but I really (laughs) do. I use it every day. Like whenever someone asks me what I recommend, I'm like Lunar Paste because I just use it so often. It's not even just because we made it. And so um, it's this metallic paste and it's in a bunch of different colors. I I believe there's 18 colors. We're growing the line as as we speak. Um, But it's these metallic colors with lots of pearlescent shine in them. And each one has a sort of pigment powder in it. That's a different color. And so what's important about that is when you tilt it in the light, if you just had a white shine and you're tinting it with different colors, you're going to see a white gloss kind of haze over top of it. But if you have these colored pearls, it'll show you that intense color and all the shine from it. So that's kind of the chemistry behind it. My chemist worked with me on that at Ranger. They're amazing. And so um, it's this creamy consistency. You can put it through stencils. You can give it a ton of texture, or you can take it on your finger or a blending tool and apply it really thin and get a ton of color and shine that way. And so it's a weird product because you can use it in so many different ways and get a lot of different looks about it. So if you want to like apply it thick, it takes a while to dry. But if you apply it thin, it takes almost no time to dry. And it still has all the same amazing qualities, just no texture to it. So yeah, you can use it in so many different ways. I originally, if you think about it, like I wanted a makeup palette at the beginning because I wanted you to be able to take something on your finger and rub it onto your project. And so we ended up at this place because what's cool about these is once they're dry, they stay there. So it's not going to come off on your fingers, but it still can work like a cream where you kind of rub in onto your project and you can kind of apply it on with your finger or like I said, do it thicker. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, it might be a little confusing because I used a lot of words there, but the videos on it. It it sounds super fun to play with. Um, So, and and like it has a lot of different uses. So that's something to definitely check out. And then you also wanted to recommend die cutting. Um, And do you have a die cutting machine that you like to use? Yeah, I like the Spellbinders one. Their Platinum 6 machine is really awesome because it's a bit smaller. So you can pull it onto your desk and work with it. Um, the reason I said die cutting is because I, I, when I wrote that too, I was just getting back into it. My spellbinders line, like I said, is just coming out. And so like, I've been working nonstop with dies lately and I love it. I forgot how much I loved die cutting because I sort of stopped including it in my projects as much because it wasn't something that was in my line that I was working with every day and, and manufacturing and, uh, being able to create with. So, um, when I started die cutting again, I remembered like it just adds so much amazing texture and dimension to your card baking projects, whether it's something simple or a little bit more intricate of like a layering die, you're just adding so much. Yeah. Like I said, depth to the card that you wouldn't necessarily be able to just do with stamping. And so sometimes I felt like I was dumbing down my card making style just to fit what I was creating at the time. But now with adding dies into it, it feels like a complete collection. And like, we're really able to create some amazing, beautiful cards now. 
Yeah. One of the things I love about cards is that it's this piece of art, but it's ephemeral and it has a use. So it's like the perfect piece of craft because you you make art, you write inside a message, you give it to somebody, they enjoy it. Maybe they keep it forever, or maybe they just recycle it as soon as you turn around. But, um, but it, and, and it serves this purpose of, you know, giving them a message or a greeting of some kind. And so um, I don't know, I think it, it feels like making art for a reason, I guess. Totally. I always think of it as like a form of therapy too, because it's really therapeutic to like create the art. And then it's really awesome to make someone smile and brighten their day with a card afterwards too. So I love kind of the two-sidedness of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I've always loved about making cards for people. Um, And then the last um, recommendation that you had is for watercolor. Yeah, I've loved watercoloring my whole career. It's something that I'm just absolutely obsessed with. I love because you can take a lot of the dyes that we create and sort of um, like inks and things like that and reinkers, and you can turn those into watercolors because they're water reactive. And so I usually paint just using my ink pads. I smoosh them down onto a surface and I'll like pick them up with water. But I've loved like whether it's watercolor powders, a watercolor palette, there's so many different forms of it. And it's just such like, it's a forgiving medium because you can like lift it up if you need to with more water, mm-hmm. you can add more down and it's translucent. So you can really layer it up and create a beautiful like shading to it. So I've really learned how to color with watercolors nicely. And so that's what I use like pretty much in all my projects. I know a lot of people love alcohol markers as well to color, but I'm more of kind of a watercolor guy. Okay. Got it. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Abby. This was a lot of fun. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Cedar Bay Planner Company, makers of the Quilters Planner and the Knitters Planner. At Cedar Bay, they believe it's important to make time to do the things you love. Let them help you with their collection of beautiful organizational tools. They make customizable, craft-focused yearly planners, undated project planners, accessories, and digital products. Everything you need to manage your day-to-day life and crafting all in one place. So visit www.quiltersplanner.com and www.knittersplanner.com to see their full line of products. And use the code CIA10, that's CIA10, at checkout for 10% off your 2023 planner. Thank you so much, Cedar Bay Planner Company. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.